Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you again. Um, our scripture reading for today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Paul, Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. This is God's word. Well, again, it's wonderful to be back with you. Um, I kind of consider myself a relief pitcher at this point. I'm coming in for one inning to kind of bridge the gap, and then uh, Pastor Don's coming in next week to kind of close it out. Not the church. The church isn't closing, but just, you know, close it. I want to begin this way, looking at this series entitled Messy Grace. Have you ever had to go back to the basics? Have you ever had to go back to the basics, like you've been doing something for so long that you kind of take it for granted and start to make mistakes? Maybe it's in your career or your job. Maybe it's a game that you love playing. Maybe it's just life, going back to the basics of life and how to be a human in this world. This happens to me as a chaplain. Sometimes when I walk into a hospital room and start visiting someone, I realize that I'm, I'm a little too comfortable and too confident, and I start to miss things, right? And I have to slow down, and I have to go back to the basics, Non-anxious presence, deep listening, attending to this unique person to see how the Spirit of God is working in them. The basics, going back to the basics. The basics are the basics for a reason. They are the foundation of everything else. Now, if you were watching the Brewers game on Friday night, you would have seen something that doesn't happen too often. Late in the game, this was late at night, Cubs pitcher Dylan Maples threw a wild pitch. Did anybody, anybody see this? It wasn't just wild, though. It was scary wild. So he didn't just throw a wild pitch. He threw it behind the Brewers hitter. Right? So he didn't just miss the plate. He didn't just miss the batter, which I guess is a good thing. He threw it behind the batter into the backstop, which is something you don't often see from a professional baseball player, right? Someone who has at the height of his game for a moment, loses his grip on the basics. Now, when I played Little League Baseball, I loved the idea of being a closing pitcher. You know, 
I love the idea of coming in and just striking out the side and leaving the hero, right? Throwing like nine pitches and you're done, and you're the hero of the game. And I also love sidearm pitchers. Do you remember these guys? You don't see them too much anymore. Submarine pitchers, they used to call them as well. They kind of throw the ball like this. I thought that looked so cool when I was a little leaguer. So when I got the chance to pitch, I would pitch sidearm just because it looked great. And the results were disastrous. Absolutely disastrous, because I had wandered away from the basics. Wandered away from the basics. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is addressing a church that has wandered from the basics of the Christian life. And the basics of the Christian life are not a moral code. They are not be nice. The basics of the Christian life are a person. The basics of the Christian life are a person. Jesus, the Son of God, in the flesh, come into the world in all of its violence and vitriol to speak his love and to bring resurrection to a broken people. That can be nothing if it's not messy. Right? That is messy. And that's why I love Tom's title for this series, Messy Grace. Grace is nothing if it's not messy, because grace is dealing with real people. A real person in the real world is always messy. There is no life that is not messy. Persons have personality and will and power and desire. Add to that a world with its own desires and personalities, and you have an enormous mess every single day all around us. Grace is messy because... Grace is a person. Grace is Jesus Christ. See, Paul understood grace to be our reception of something we do not deserve. But he didn't stop there. We are saved by grace. Paul knew what that meant. We are saved by Jesus Christ. God in the flesh. Grace, come to meet us. God's good favor, come to meet us in our real messy lives. Grace is a living, breathing, speaking human being, God with us. You know, when you become a Christian, you begin to realize that it wasn't just like some force or feeling that's drawing you into a new life. There's a personality. There's a person drawing you into a new life. The basics of the Christian life are, in a word, Jesus. Now, Paul tells this church that he loves that they have wandered away from the basics. In fact, they never understood the basics. And so Paul needs to give them milk, right? He talks about this milk he has to give them. Now, milk is for babies, right? Milk is for babies, and that's not a bad thing. Babies need milk, and that's basically the only thing I know about babies. Milk or formula, some kind of nutrition. Babies need milk. Paul says, I gave you milk because you were spiritual infants. You were still in the flesh, meaning you're not living the basics. I had, Paul says something like this, I had hoped by now you would be drinking deeply from the glorious wine that is God's love for you in Jesus. But you're still sucking on a sippy cup of the world's ways. Quarreling, arguing, pride, prejudice, all within the church. Paul says, you still have a sippy cup in your hands. I had hoped by now you would be resting 
in Jesus, but you're still clinging to some meaningless pride. Paul says to the Corinthians, you still need the milk that is Jesus. You cannot enjoy his presence without first getting to know him. See, the Corinthians are trying to live liberated lives without falling in love with the liberator himself. They don't know the basics, and that means they're destroying each other. One follows Apollos, one follows Paul. Because they have not met the real Jesus, they cling to messengers. They cling to a pastor or to a teacher because it's easier than clinging to Jesus. Because pastors and teachers can really simplify things, right? You just find one that thinks like you, and you can put your spiritual life on cruise control. But Jesus Christ is messy. He comes in and he kind of messes things up a little bit, doesn't he? Grace is messy. Now, take politics, for example. I know. I woke some of you up now. Just think about this for a minute. I'm going to be really brief on this. But, and, and, and Tom kind of addressed this last week a little bit. But if you are politically engaged as a Republican or a Democrat or anywhere in between or an independent, wherever, whatever you might be, if you are politically engaged, your Christian faith ought to be challenging your favored party in some respect. Because Jesus never fits neatly into a nice little box. He never does. Jesus is a, really, a real person with a real will come into this messy world and he challenges who we think we are. He breaks everything open. He will never fit in a nice little box. He is the beginning and he's the end. He is the milk and he's the solid food. He is the ABCs and he's the PhD. We never get away from Christ as the basics. By the way, my little niece, Betty Lou is her name. She just turned two. And I ask her, Betty Lou, can you give me your ABCs? And she says, no, thank you. <laughs> because people are messy. They don't fit in our nice little boxes. No. Jesus is no different. You begin with him, but you never leave him. If we don't begin with him, and stay with him, and let our whole lives sink into him deeper and deeper as we mature, then we're just pretending. He is the Alpha and the Omega. Start with him and stay with him. Turn your eyes to him in the context of this church, and he will do it. He will make you grow. He will do it. See, that's true growth. That's what the church is called sanctification. God making us look more and more like Christ every day. And that really only happens when we turn our gaze away from ourself and toward him. I had a patient the other day who has been going through terrible medical issues uh, for the past 10 years, and she's in the hospital again, and she told me she has learned to never move on from the feast that is Jesus. Focusing on him, returning to him, turning her eyes to him. And one of the ways that she serves as a Christian, because she's in the hospital so much, 
one of the ways that she serves is that she gives us chaplains good wisdom to share with you guys, because she knows some of us preach on the weekends. And so she knew I was coming out here to preach, and she wanted to share this with you about what she's learned in her walk, in turning to Jesus. Right? She just said, she said this, I want them to know that even in the darkness, there is so much light. Even in the darkness, there is so much light. See, when you know the author of life, the future is gift. No matter what you are enduring, the future is gift. This is the kind of mindset that kind of grows naturally when we turn our eyes away from self-evaluation and toward Jesus' adoration. Worshiping him. Paul says you're spiritual in a Christian sense only insofar as you are in love with this man. That's where it begins and ends. Grace is always growing us because grace is Jesus who will not be a neat, quiet little roommate. He, in all of his messiness, is our Lord. He will come into our lives and rearrange the furniture. And once he lives with you, your life is never... Once he lives with you, he's never going away. You cannot evict him. <laughs> he will be doing work in your life long after you gave him the go-ahead. He's going to keep doing stuff. He's going to keep working. Now, I want to get into the Greek just a little bit here, really briefly, so bear with me. But I, I think this is important because Paul says, there's a, there's a point in verse 6, Paul says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. Now, in the Greek, Paul does something really interesting. He uses the simple past tense to describe his work and the work of Apollos, right? They water they plant the seed, they water, and they're done. There's a beginning and a definite end to their work. It's done. But when Paul gets to God's work, he switches the tense. He moves to the imperfect. Paul says, God keeps giving the growth. Paul keeps growing it, or God keeps growing and growing and growing your work. Long after you were done with it. He takes the seed and the water and he makes it grow and grow and grow. Now, when you take one action of faith, God will keep it growing. See, your work and my work, in this world, whatever we do, it will end one day, but God is always going to be multiplying that work. Whatever we started, he's going to keep it multiplying and multiplying. But that doesn't mean he tells us about it. Sometimes that can be frustrating. We, we work our lives giving to others. And we don't know exactly what the end result is, do we? And God doesn't always see fit to tell us what it's going to be. But he will continue to use our work to bless people. He keeps it growing and growing. So don't be ashamed if you're an infant in Christ. Drink the milk. Learn from him. Learn about his heart. Look at his life. Fall in love with him. Everything else falls into place because God will keep you growing. Constant self-evaluation is the quickest way to despair. It is by far the fastest path 
And that's why Paul always says, put your eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. Turn your eyes to him. Paul says, look at Jesus and what he's doing. He's building you up from nothing. I'm just the servant. I'm the gardener. You're his garden. I'm just the bricklayer. You are the house that he is making his home. So what's your homework? Good Christians? What's our homework today? Relax. It's this. Relax. You know, just like Aaron Rodgers says every time the Packers lay an egg, relax. Right? Trust. Trust the one who has saved you from sin, death, and the devil forever. You know that great hymn? Lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him and him alone, gloriously complete. Our God is Jesus. We've already won. We've already won. He grows you into his story. He sanctifies you. He heals you. He builds you up. Nowhere in the Bible does it say it better than 1 Thessalonians 5. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. He is faithful. He will do it. He does the growing. If your Christian life is stalled and boring, go back to the basics. Jesus is the milk and the solid food. We never move on from him. We just sink more deeply into him. And people will notice. People will notice when you're resting in him and you're not just another whiner moaning on social media. Right? They'll notice when you're a friend of Jesus. They'll notice when you have a posture of love at your core which challenges and upends all the division of this world. They will notice. They'll notice when Jesus is your friend and more than that, when he's your brother and the rest for your soul. You will be free and relaxed and committed to doing real good, not giving up your heart to some ideology that pits you against people who are different. See, the world dominates and oppresses its enemies. Jesus Christ dies for his enemies. That is a very different set of basics. And Paul says, we need to get back to that heart. I love westerns. Any of you guys love westerns? But this is kind of more, a few of them. This is kind of more of a, a recent thing for me. Right? A couple weeks ago, I watched um, Clint Eastwood's masterpiece, Unforgiven. You ever seen that one? Brilliant film. My favorite Western of all time, though, is High Noon with Gary Cooper. Love that. Black and white, 1952. A close second is the 1993 film Tombstone with Kurt Russell and uh, Val Kilmer um, and Sam Elliott. And I... I love Kilmer's performance as Doc Holliday. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Brilliant performance. Doc Holliday, who is the Southern aristocratic dentist and gambler, 
with a drinking problem, who throughout the whole film is dying of tuberculosis. He looks half dead through the whole film. He's always sweating and coughing, and yet he is the best shot in town. He is the expert gunslinger. No one wants to fight him, because they know even if he's drunk, he'll take you out, right? He is the best gunslinger. Now, in the film, Kurt Russell plays Wyatt Earp. And Wyatt Earp is going to face off with another gunslinger named uh, Johnny Ringo. And Doc, Doc Holliday knows that if Wyatt Earp actually faces off against Johnny Ringo, Wyatt's a goner. There's no way that he, can, he has the speed to compete with Johnny Ringo. So what Doc Holliday does is he sneaks away and he beats Wyatt to the meeting place in this grove of trees where he's going to meet Johnny Ringo. He beats Wyatt to the meeting place, and he confronts Johnny Ringo himself. And at first, Ringo can't see his face. He's just in the shadows, right? So he thinks it's Wyatt Earp, and he's all cocky and confident. But when the figure comes out of the shadows, we realize it's Doc Holliday. And he looks sickly, and he has a cigarette in his mouth. But Johnny Ringo sees it's Doc Holliday, and his face drops. And he's terrified. And, and Doc Holliday says this. I've been practicing this. This is Doc Holliday's line, okay? Johnny Ringo, you look like someone just walked over your grave. Best line ever. And Johnny Ringo, terrified, says, the fight's not with you, Holliday. Doc Holliday replies, I beg to differ, sir. And we remember a part in the film earlier on when a guy asks Doc Holliday, why are you following Wyatt Earp around when you are so sick? Why are you helping him like this? You should be in bed. And Doc Holliday says simply, Wyatt Earp is my friend. Remember that line? Wyatt Earp is my friend. See, Doc Holliday takes Wyatt's place. Without Wyatt knowing about it, he takes Wyatt's place. Wyatt would have been killed. Doc shows up and fights the fight for him in his place on his behalf. And Jesus Christ on the cross fights the fight in our place on our behalf. Why? He didn't do it because he had to. He did it because God in Jesus Christ is your friend. God in Jesus Christ is your friend. The greatest theologian of the 20th century, Karl Barth, someone asked him, what's the most important thing you've ever learned as a theologian? The most important thing. And Barth replied, without being flippant, without any sarcasm, he said this, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Turn your eyes to this one. Jesus, who is your friend, who took your place. Don't be a groupie of a celebrity pastor. <laughs> you know, learn from them. But know Christ as a child. Come to him with openness and eagerness. He is your friend. He is the basics. He is the beginning and the end. He is the milk and the solid food. He is the kindergarten and the doctorate. All in one.
we never get away from him and leave the growth to him. Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious God, uh, we thank you that uh, before we even knew what was happening, you came to rescue us from ourselves. You came to rescue us from sin, death, and the devil. And no matter what, you are growing us in the image of your son. We are your garden, we are your field, we are your building. Lord, we know that you'll never drop us, you'll never leave us because of what your son did. And what he did, we celebrate now, coming to the table. He gave us his body and his blood to rescue us, to give us new life. And Lord, we look to you now and we celebrate this in your presence. Amen.